the Purifying Truths with a star. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday morning. We have a pleasurable guest today by the name of Eddie Coppa. Eddie today is going to take us on a whirlwind adventure in learning on how to speak non violently. I know most of us think that it's just a game and it's a joke that we just throw a little slander in here and there, but Eddie is going to teach us about nonviolent communication, what it means and how we can stop it because it utterly leads to self-destruction. Those of you who don't know who Eddie is, he's the co-founder of Life Enriching Communication. He's a certified trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication, and he even is the one who facilitates the workshops and the trainings there. He helps others with nonviolent communication. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for spending time with us today on Purifying Truths. Now, just tell us, what exactly is nonviolent communication? Yeah, nonviolent communication is a process of communication that helps us to be compassionate with ourselves and others. The word nonviolent in Sanskrit, as Gandhi would use it, literally means to do no harm to any living thing. So it's the absence of harm and thus the place where compassion can flow in each of us because there's no room in our heart for violence. So nonviolent communication is a language that does not harm and is open-hearted. It's curious to see what's going on for others. And there's four areas that nonviolent communication typically focuses on. So the first is like differentiating the difference between what is actually happening in real time, like something that's observable versus um, the story that we tell ourselves or an evaluation, a moralistic judgment or diagnosis mm-hmm. of others. So, um, so many times we get in our head and we think something uh, that's bad about someone else and that can really get us going. Uh, and so we want to get clear what, what's really happening, you know? So the other area of nonviolent communication that we focus on is sharing our feelings, kind of like sharing our heart and uh, connecting it to our needs because our feelings are always connected to our needs. Um, And so to be able to do that, we're able to have clarity about what's important to us because so many times we'll share what we think of others or something negative of others, but to be able to share what's really important to us is what's gonna help others be able to connect with that. Um, And then we make a request, you know, that that would um, meet our need, a specific, uh, doable requests that can help others to do that. And then if people need help, we try to help them to be able to share their feelings or their needs and to make a request that works for everybody. All right. So basically what I'm hearing is that nonviolent communication is assessing a situation and taking the time to realize what's really going on versus what we think is going on, what is really being said versus what we think we're hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, you go. Yeah. There's a story I like to share sometimes because it just really, it really shows this. Um, it's the story of someone that was at an airport uh, waiting for her flight 
and um, she had bought some cookies at the vending machine. She was eating them, and she's next to somebody, and then all of a sudden, he grabs one of the cookies and starts eating it. And she's just like, what's going on, right? So she's starting to get into that story of like, you know, how rude. And so, mm-hmm. but she doesn't want to say anything. So then she eats a cookie and then he eats another cookie. So she's starting to get more upset, starting to turn red, but she doesn't want to say anything. And so finally, <laughs> they keep doing this back and forth. There's only one cookie left. And then he grabs the cookie, cuts it in half, shoves half of it to her, grabs the other half and eats it and walks away. And so she's just so upset. Um, but then she gets on her flight and she checks her bag and she sees her cookies are all there. Um, so she was eating his cookies all that time. <gasps> yes. But in her mind, you know, he was being rude and being selfish. Um, but really he was being generous. He even shared the last <sighs> cookie with her. So it's just an example how easily we can get in a story. And it could be so off from what's really happening. That is a fabulous way to share that. Wow. Because I was actually feeling what she probably was thinking, like, what in the world? I'm thinking I would have definitely said something. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, And, you know, as you also pointed out, we have to keep it realistic when we're giving our request. You know, we can't ask for the moon um, when that's not doable in our communication. Would you please elaborate a little bit on that and what that sets us up for? Yeah, most definitely. So um, when we make that request, we want it to be specific, not general. So sometimes people say, uh, would you be willing to be more respectful? But uh, that's so general, and and someone might come back and say, I am being respectful. So you want to be specific about what it is you'd like them to do that would meet your need for, for respect or consideration. And so maybe it would be when I'm talking to you, would you be willing to look at me in the eyes and not be on a device? So that's really specific. And that increases mm-hmm. the likelihood that your need will get met. Um, The other thing with making requests is that this isn't just to get our needs met. It's about getting everyone's needs met. So we want to be okay with hearing no. So if we're not okay with hearing no, then it's not a request. It's a demand. And that's the difference Uh between what we're doing and maybe what we used to do. And so uh, when we hear no in nonviolent communication, it's a gift because it's telling us that this other person is saying yes to something that's important to them. And if we really care about them, we want to know what that is. And we don't want someone to say yes to us uh, when they really mean no. So that's why it's a gift, because otherwise we'll pay for it later on. So that's something that we try to get curious about. So I like to say, uh, what's keeping you from saying yes? And that kind of helps me get a better clue to what's going on for that person. And then I can consider that. Uh, and maybe offer a solution that meets uh, both our needs. Wow, that is definitely a way to approach things. Certainly, it never crossed my mind in the past to figure out what's keeping you from saying yes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful food for thought. Um, Eddie, many times we communicate in a violent way and consider it joking or sarcastic. And then that leads to a snowball that eventually ends up in anger. So help us understand how can we prevent that and why it's important not to do that? 
Right. So I think, you know, going back to the the word nonviolence, meaning to do no harm, right, um, and to connect with that place in us that's compassionate. I think I would want to examine myself to make sure that what I'm saying is not stimulating harm. And so even though I might be joking and I might think it's not doing any harm, what really matters is how is that received by the other person, right? Because they're the ones that would, would know if it's, it's affecting them. So I would really want to make sure that that other person, especially if they're giving me some kind of clue that they, they didn't land well, um, to how they received it, because then I can modify that. Because um, a lot of times I hear people say, you know, oh, I was just joking, it's no big deal. But that's like minimizing, you know, the impact that it had on someone else. If someone's telling you that it had an impact, it had an impact on them. It's not that there's something wrong with them. Um, you know, I think the caring thing to do is to, to check in and say, well, how could I communicate in a way that's affirming instead of uh, hurtful? Uh-huh. Absolutely. That's something that we can all do as we are communicating with each other on our day to day. Now, we all have emotions. That's part of being human. And at times we're going to get angry. Why is it important to manage that anger? Yeah, I, well, I would say, you know, it's um, it's important to transform anger uh, versus mm. managing it. Because this the idea of managing it is sort of like, Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave the situation. Or I'm gonna do deep breathing, but am I really addressing the anger? Right. So the transforming the anger is when we're addressing that anger. So um, what I would do is I would say, okay, let's discover what the need is, because anger is always connected to a core need that I have. There's a deep longing or a value that I have. So, for instance, you know, maybe I want to be heard. Or maybe I want to matter, or I'm needing cooperation, and for whatever reason that's not happening. So um, I want to connect with that, and if I can, then I've transformed anger because now I feel sad that that needs not met, and I've given myself some clarity and validation, and I can now communicate it and advocate for it. Um, so there's a quote by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, "Hold on to your anger and use it as compost for your garden." And so I think it's mm. kind of like anger's precious longing that wants to be lived out, a need. And a need is life-seeking expression. And when we name it and advocate for that, we're back in the flow of life. But if we don't do that, if we don't work through it, and we can't put our finger on what our need is behind the anger, it'll still affect us. You know, eventually it'll turn into resentment, maybe rage, or even uh, violence. Absolutely. I have seen many times where anger has turned into rage. And it, I agree with you. It is not something that needs to be managed, even though it's cliche that we oftentimes say manage anger. You hear about anger management classes, but truly we need to transform our anger. Love your spin on that. Now, what inspired you to communicate in a nonviolent way, Eddie? Yeah, so um, a couple of things, but I, I would point to a, a trainer coming to uh, an organization that I worked at in 2004 and sharing nonviolent communication with us. I was hooked immediately. Um, the presentation revealed to me how I was communicating in a way that stimulated harm. 
And I wanted to correct that, start practicing it immediately with myself and others. Um, so I started doing that. My kids were really young. I was just a, a new father, pretty much. I think my oldest was maybe four years old at the time. And so it was a perfect time for me to start practicing this. Um, so that was probably the, the, the main thing that uh, influenced me to practice nonviolent communication. Oh, wow. Our kids definitely motivate and inspire us to do so many things and change in so many positive ways. Um, certainly, society looks at, um, many times, looks at males as the strong, the rough, the violent, the, uh, you know, um, beat on your chest, I am man. And so that doesn't line up with nonviolence. So explain that to me. What would you have to say to that person that maybe agrees with um, nonviolent communication, but has a quote unquote image to portray? Mm, yeah. So I think a lot of times, you know, especially as men, there's certain things that we've been taught, right, by people in our life. Um, one mm -hmm. of them being, you know, um, suck it up or, um, you know, boys don't cry. And so these messages are like, we've got to be tough and we can't show emotion. Um, the one emotion it's okay to show is anger. And a lot of times we, we uh, partner with these messages that we get to, we're loyal to them. And it's sort of like becomes this man code. And so we want to live up to that. And it gets us in trouble because there's tra tragic consequences that follow us. And so I would say, examine everything that you've been taught. That's just good advice, I think, for anybody. Um, and then, you know, really uh, take into account how you're landing with other people, how, how, you know, especially those people in your inner circle, your kids, your partner, um, you know, how are you holding those relationships? And, um, you know, try to incorporate, especially if someone's interested in online communication, to incorporate that into your life and you'll see the difference immediately in your relationships with your kids or, or anybody that you interact with. Absolutely. I think we all love the idea of communicating without violence. Um, we all want to be communicated to that way, but many times we don't think about how we're communicating. And so many times it's that we're giving out what we don't want to get back. And so I know that you're a life coach as well. And so as you are coaching others, um, have you seen that, that many times people aren't even aware of what they're doing to add to the problem? Oh, yeah, for sure. So a lot of times I think we, we do what we've been taught, um, you know, and so it's been normalized for us. Uh, it's familiar and we don't even realize, you know, that uh, it's maybe doing harm. I, I had one person come up to me and say, you know, Eddie, I don't understand why I was violent with my partner because my father used to do this to my mom and I promised myself I would never do this. And mm. so, I, so why did I do this, right? And I said, well, you know, a lot of times when you have this sense of your back's against the wall and you're in that moment and you, do, and you haven't been taught anything else, we go back to what we learned or what was familiar. Um, and I said, the good news is that it's a learned behavior, but you can change it and you can uh -huh. learn how to show up with nonviolence and we can give you the tools to do that. 
And so I think that when I work with people, I really want them to experience the power of nonviolence. And what I mean by that is I want them to be able to learn how to be compassionate with themselves. And so a lot of times we don't have a very big vocabulary when it comes to feeling and needs. And so that's one of the things I try to increase. And so that way people can give themselves empathy uh, in the moment and really have clarity about what's important to them and communicate that instead of what they think of someone else or what someone else is doing wrong. Um, and that really is helpful because then they experience that validation and then they, they can now then see the value of offering that to someone else. Absolutely. What a wonderful way to coach in showing versus telling. Um, certainly, I know that those that you are coaching are benefiting from you. As a life coach, what is your main objective? Yeah, my main objective is to be able to help people to learn how to love themselves and then from that, how to love others. And I think when you can do that uh, in how you um, think and how you speak and how you act, it transforms any situation, whether it's in the home, whether it's with your partner, whether it's at work um, or at the, at the grocery store. But uh, that's the wonderful thing about nonviolence is that it allows you just to see the common humanity with everybody. And mm. Because one of the beliefs in nonviolence is, and nonviolent communication is that behind every action that people do, there is a need. And so Marshall Rosenberg would say, he's the founder of nonviolent communication, that that is a good reason. There's always a good reason why people do something. And he said, it's because there's a need that they're trying to meet. It's the strategies that are tragic at times, but the need is always beautiful because we all have that need. It's a universal need. Hmm. I see. Do you find that many people love themselves, truly are able to communicate and be compassionate with themselves? I mean, we hear about affirmations and um, self-love and meditation, but is that the latest fad? Or do you see that people are actually loving themselves during your experience as a life coach? Yeah, what, what I've seen a lot of is that uh, when people do something that is not in alignment with their values or they didn't do as well as they would have liked in, in regards to something, that mm -hmm. people tend to be really hard on themselves. And so when we examine how they speak to themselves, um, it's usually not, it's usually violent. I would say so. It's usually like I'm, I'm stupid, or I can't do anything right. I'm a failure, and so I see that as very common. And to me, that's a sign that we haven't really been taught how to deal with uh, when we fail or when we do something that's not in line with our values. And so I always go back to to Jesus and his teaching of, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." And so I think when we do something that's not in alignment with our values, it's time to mourn. And the mourning, you know, it's like we think of death a lot of times when we think of mourning. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this context, you know, it's, it's like when we do something 
that's in a not alignment with our values, we can't go back in time and change it, just like we can't bring someone back to life who has passed. And so we have to come to grips with what we've done and accept it, uh, own it, and then mourn, which is really uh, allowing ourselves to experience sadness. Marshall would say a sweet sadness that leads to change. And so when we do that, there need, there's no need to judge ourselves. There's no need to beat ourselves up. Then we just say, how can I show up differently in the world so that I can uh, meet this need of mine to contribute to others? And so that's what I've seen is like the number one thing is just how people are talking to each other um, can really lead to depression, anxiety, and, and just being resentful with themselves. And if they're talking to themselves this way, then there's a good chance they're going to talk to other people that way too. I agree. I see as well um, many people saying they love themselves, but not truly loving themselves when it comes to the part of self-forgiveness, when it comes to the part of showing that you love yourself by practicing compassion, self-compassion. Many times you'll have the outside, whether it's your friend, your neighbor, your cousin, your coworker, that will push that button. You know, the outside knows your trigger points. What can you advise us um, when those points are pushed? Because we all have, you know, the desire, I'm going to do A, B, and C. I'm going to stay in line. And somebody comes and knocks us off our block. And like you said, we fall back to what's familiar. How would you advise us to not do that? Right. So there's a few things, right? So one, I would say that I would want to um, just differentiate between what just happened and then what's the story you're telling yourself, right, in that moment. So, um, and one way to do that is to just say, I'm telling myself and finish the sentence. So I'm telling myself this person mm -hmm. is being rude telling myself this person doesn't care about me. Um, so when I say that, then I realize, oh, I'm in story. I'm, I'm the narrator of this story. That's not necessarily true. So what actually happened? And then to give ourselves some empathy, you know, talking about that self-empathy, um, you know, what is it that I really long for right now? What is it that I want? Maybe it's consideration. You know, maybe it's respect. And then to kind of drop into that and just, just be with that. Oh, okay, that's it. And then to get curious. So I would even say, close your eyes and just imagine like what need that other person might have. And a lot of times that's really powerful because you start to see them in a different way. And you're not taking what they said or did personally because it's not about mm -hmm. you, right? It's to hurt people, hurt people. So this person's hurt. Right. Try to find out what's going on. And lean into that and there will be an internal shift inside you that will help you navigate that situation. Now, Eddie, I'm going to speak from a transparent and personal experience. I agree with you 1000%, but in the heat of the moment, I, I can't think of all of that. Mm -hmm. In the heat of the moment, I'm not going to close my eyes. I might get hit. Mm -hmm. So how do you step out of the situation? If you have had your buttons pushed, how do you step out of the situation so you can take the time to do the steps and practice the nonviolent communication? 
Yeah, thank you for asking that because it's it's such an important question. Um, it's so important to be able to slow down and to reset. And and you're right, totally agree. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to do when you're triggered within seconds. Um, and and maybe it can be done, but it will take you know maybe some time to get to that place. So I always tell people, you know, um, give yourself time. And as much time as needed and walk, walk away, you know, in, in a lot of the clients, I teach them to take timeouts, right? So, uh, and a timeout is where you give yourself some time to reflect on how you're feeling, what's going on, and then to, uh, you know, connect with what some, what's going on for someone else. So you can come back and talk about it later. But if you don't mm -hmm. take that time, then everything that we're talking about, kind of goes out the window, right? Because in that mm -hmm. moment, um, we're in a reactive state. And so right. we don't, we don't want to um, act out of that state. So that one thing that I, I tell people, like, because the hardest thing to do is to remember in that moment, even to walk away or to give yourself some time. So a lot of times to just check in with what's going on in your body. So maybe it's your heart rate that's going faster. Maybe it's dry mouth. Maybe it's like tightness in your shoulders. Um, and when you feel that, make an agreement with yourself that you're going to walk away. Give yourself some time. I found that's the, the best way, at least for me, to remember in that moment when I experienced that in my body to, to, to uh, take that time. Absolutely. It's so important that we know ourselves and that we not let what's going on around us make us react in a way that we're going to regret in the future. Because some things can be fixed, but then others can't. And you never can take words back. So it's so important that the way that we communicate is effective and nonviolent. Will you please share a story with us where nonviolent communication was used? Yeah, I'll share a story. There's so many, but uh, this one comes to mind. Uh, it's a story of a client of mine that I worked with. Um, when I first started working with him, he was very resentful towards his ex because she had a drug addiction that led to him actually raising his kids by himself. And he had so much resentment that it led to him becoming actually violent with her. And CPS was involved and he was able to keep his kids, but his resentment was still there. And I did an activity with him where we empathized with his feelings and needs that he had about mm -hmm. what happened. And we focused on his ex's feelings and needs as well. So we drew two hearts on a whiteboard and wrote all the feelings and needs he had and then the feelings and needs she might have had when he acted out in violence. Mm -hmm. When we did this activity, you know, um, he actually started crying because he had never done that. He had never checked in with himself as to like, he, he was judging himself as a bad person. And when he saw that he had valid needs uh, behind that and that he just didn't go about meeting them in a healthy way, uh, he was able to mourn. And then when he saw the needs that his partner had that he wasn't able to meet by acting out. Um, he was able to fully connect and empathize with her. And so that was the moment where he was able to let go of the resentment he had and totally own what he did. 
and then be able to uh, start to change his life. And so, um, you know, I talked to him years later after he graduated the program and he was still doing really well raising his kids. And he actually came and spoke uh, a couple of times at our agency to others. And there was like not a, a dry eye in the house when he would share his story. But it was just a story of total transformation and, and letting go of that resentment um, and being able to just focus on his growth. It is possible when we take our eyes off of what everyone else is doing to us and we see what we need, what they need, and work on us mm-hmm. that we're able to heal so that we can help those that we love. I love that story. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that just leads into the segue of you mentioned about the classes. So tell us a little bit about the classes that you teach and the workshops that you hold. Yeah, so I teach nonviolent communication workshops for families, corporations, and individuals, and also facilitate a batter intervention program, parenting programs, a child abuse treatment program, And in all these programs, you know, I focus on breaking that cycle of abuse or violence by teaching participants uh, nonviolent communication and nonviolence. So, um, yeah, I've been doing it for many years. Mm -hmm. And certainly the work that you're doing um, is helpful and much needed because just about every time you turn on the TV, whether it's the news or a sitcom, You'll see nonviolent communication is minimal. Mm-hmm. Everything is about violence, whether it's reporting on it or laughing at it or actually communicating in a violent nature. Eddie, I thank you so much for the work that you do. I understand that you are author of a few books. Tell us about your books and where can the audience get them? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I recently wrote a book uh called Principles and Practices of Nonviolence, 30 Meditations for Practicing Compassion. And I wrote this to help individuals live nonviolence in their day-to-day life. Um, I really believe nonviolence is the answer. Um, Right now, we are, you know, seeing so much division, black and white thinking, and nonviolence really helps us to see our common humanity and the beauty that we all behold. So I wanted to have something that could help people uh, daily. Uh, do this. I think sometimes we think of nonviolence as uh, a movement, um, a social change movement, but it's something that we can apply to our everyday life today and now. So that's why I wrote that book. Um, And then I've written some other books as well, you know, written a book on volunteering and some other fun books on on my faith as well, many years Mm -hmm. ago. And they're all available um, online, amazon.com, uh, barnesandnobles.com, and even your local bookstore. You can special order it there. All right. Well, definitely I encourage you to go out and get one or all of Eddie Zacapa's books. I have to make sure I pronounce your name right. Um, but definitely they are good reads, especially the one about nonviolent communication. Because even when we think that we're communicating in the proper way, we can improve. And certainly he has the tools that shows us how to do it in such an easy way. What's next for you, Eddie? 
Yeah, so right now I'm working on a book on domestic violence. Um, and I'm also working on a domestic violence curriculum that can help other facilitators all over the world uh, be able to uh, implement uh, teaching nonviolent communication as they're also working with uh, people who have committed acts of violence. So I'm really excited about, uh, about that and being able to share that message with others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, how you communicate has a lot to do with what happens next. Mm-hmm. So if you can learn to communicate nonviolently, then it could stop a lot, I believe, of the violence that comes after. So looking forward to your teachings and wish you the best on that. Now, as far as the audience, how can they connect with you? Yeah, they can go to my personal blog, um, harmonyoftheheart.com, or my website, peaceloveandnonviolence.com. All right, peace and love. Love it, love it, love it. Eddie, it has been such a pleasure having you on Purifying Truths today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insight on nonviolent communication. Is there anyone that you'd like to thank that have poured into you, inspired you at this time? You know, I, I always go back to my father um, and uh, just the way that he showed up in the world. He was always like a safe person that I can go to. And so he, I think, modeled nonviolence to me at a young age. And he wasn't even, you know, taught it by Marshall Rosenberg, but he just lived it. And so his gentle spirit has always kind of guided me. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Well, once again, thank you so much for being a guest with us today. We certainly appreciate your work and how you illuminate the world. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Tune in every Saturday for exciting new guests who illuminate the world. You can contact A-Star at Facets of a Star on Facebook and Instagram. You can also reach facetsofastar.com. Shine bright.